Captain Jeremy Corbyn eat a bacon sandwich? Answer me this, answer me this. Will drinking a carling get me kicked out of Shoreditch? Answer me this, answer me this. Helen and Ollie, answer me this. Dom, da dom, dom, dom. <laughs> That's right, we're talking about dominatrices. Again? Again, well, it's feedback we're doing now. I thought it was one particular dominatrix. It was, Martin. Uh, at the end of episode 319, uh, a man calling himself Nigel, uh, you'll recall, wrote us a slightly incomprehensible email about how he was uh, seeing a dominatrix on a regular basis. Yes. But was confused. He was confused, and so were we. Because we didn't see what the issue was. His question was, should I feel guilty? And we couldn't see what there was to feel guilty about. There was a lot going on in his email. If you haven't already heard it, go back, listen to the end of 319, then return for what is about to be said on 320. Very good. Oliver. Uh, (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) You have the floor. Um, (laughs) Well, an anonymous man uh, has been in touch to say... I'm a mid-40s guy who works in an office, is married with an adult son. I have a very normal life, but when it comes to kink, I'm a dom, a sadist and an evil bastard. Okay, that's quite a full description of his life, very economically done. On the question of whether Nigel is nuts, uh, well, assuming that he means, am I nuts for liking this stuff? The answer is no, not at all. It's a lot more common than you'd think. Absolutely. On the issue of whether he should feel guilty... Should he feel guilty about her husband? No, not at all, because he knows all about it, trust me. If she's doing it professionally and she has a dungeon, there's no way she'll be able to hide it. Yeah, this is what I was saying. I assumed that her husband would not be oblivious to a whole story of his house. Shall I get the wine from the cellar, darling? No! (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Should he feel guilty, continues this email, about what? If you have a wife or partner and you're cheating, then probably, Nigel. But if it's just you and you're doing what you want and you can afford it and you're getting what you need, then no, not at all. If the situation, however, is that you've developed feelings... And we suspected... Martin suspected this was the case, yeah. Martin is good at seeing feelings Mm -hmm. where Mm. we are blind. You need to talk to your dom. Mm-hmm. Is that part of the arrangement, though? You may be able to have an actual relationship rather than a financial arrangement, but you'll need to be ready as she may cut you free at that point. Could be a literal term. Yeah, could well be, uh, seeing as she is monogamous. Yeah. The other advice I would give Nigel is get out to your local munch. What is my local munch? A munch is a local meeting of kinky people in a vanilla setting. That sounds fun. Oh. Uh, so nilla clothes, no play in a local pub or similar venue. You could go to Subway. Huh? Mm. Or you could stay at home and get a Domino's. You could, Ollie. Yeah. You absolutely mm. could. I'd say I'm here all week, but that's it. I can't think of other brands that sound like Subway. You could, you could uh, meet up at Kinko's and do some photocopying if you're based in the States. <laughs> Indeed. You, you win that round, Martin. Yeah. <laughs> he does, but only because of the very low bar that I set. Uh, anyway. Go- Uh, Yes, Anonymous Man continues. There are lots of these munches around, apparently. We get together and chat and have a laugh like normal people. Puts two exclamation marks there as if to underline how normal he is. That's not normal. And he also has another piece of advice. Get on FetLife or one of the other kink social networks uh, and talk to other subs and other doms. Mm -hmm. And I know lots of people in long-term relationships who are doms or into other forms of kinky. There are people out there. That was reassuring. Yes. I hope Nigel does that because I got the sense that Nigel was quite a lonely man. I got that sense too from the tone of his email. Yeah. It's and, probably uh, easy to feel a bit isolated if you think you're the only person into it, isn't it? Yeah. 
but in fact all over the world people are subbing and dumbing yeah it's still a minority concern though isn't it it's just the internet makes it feel so much more like podcasting yeah indeed yeah <laughs> you know all the journalists rah, 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 and yet most people don't know what it is probably everyone's got a podcast anyway right? yeah except for most people who don't care <laughs> or know what one is or listen to one well Liz in New York City has also written in with uh, some heartening words for Nigel she says I am a dominant woman with experience in various forms of BDSM and I think it's pretty clear that what Nigel was really asking was not should I be ashamed for wanting this but rather given that I have such specific tastes shouldn't I feel satisfied with this arrangement even though I don't wow very perceptive I think if Nigel was honest with himself he'd have to admit that his ideal scenario would be for him to be in a relationship with a dominant woman who could provide him with both emotional intimacy and the opportunity for the kind of service-based submission he enjoys. Mm. And I just want to tell him, there are so many women who would be delighted to lock up your junk and watch you scrub the floors within the context of a loving and mutually supportive relationship. (laughs) You don't have to settle for what you have now if it isn't what will truly make you happy in the long run. Isn't it lovely? uh, It is, I genuinely heartwarmed. Yes, exactly. That in this particular niche of uh, sexuality where people inflict pain upon each other voluntarily, there's such a lot of warmth and support for each other. I I think that's probably what makes it work yeah Liz continues on an entirely different note yeah. your discussion of Ritz crackers and wartime <laughs> foods reminded me of a truly horrifying relic of the Great Depression which <laughs> only on answer me this seriously I, I, on the Mastercast they are not having that link I'm going to stand aside and request that Liz replaces me on this show henceforth <laughs> Savage love it your heart out. Uh, she says this horrifying relic of the Great Depression may have not made it over to the UK mm. mock apple pie right this is a pie with a filling of sugar syrup mm. lemon juice mm. cinnamon mm. and Ritz crackers right Perfect mm. substitute for apples, isn't it? They really have a very similar texture, don't Absolutely, they? Absolutely, yeah. I couldn't think of anything more similar apart from possibly paper or guitar strings. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe rocks, razor blades, <laughs> human hands. Yeah. Uh, Liz says, I have never tried it, but it sounds like the most revolting thing imaginable. It does. Sounds like the kind of thing Nigel would be into. And I have no idea how it could possibly taste like apples. I think, firstly, the point with a lot of these awful substitute foods that they enjoyed... Basically, between First World War and the end of the Second World War, wasn't so much that they really tasted like the thing, but you could pretend that they did. Mm. And also, mm. this maybe it had been so long since they tasted a real apple pie that they were willing to go for this. Well, also, I, my understanding of this, now I've looked into it, Liz, and thank you for flagging it to my attention, is thank apparently... You for opening your eyes. <laughs> apparently, this is a thing in the States uh, that people are much more aware of because for years, Ritz crackers actually printed the recipe on the back of the box for mock uh, apple pie, wow. even decades after. Are uh, they still it doing popular. it? Not Does anymore. that be remarkable? Not anymore, but until, as far as I can work out, the 60s and 70s, they were. And it's because apples ended up costing... Uh, less or the same than a box of Ritz crackers at which point there isn't much point keeping the recipe there anymore but I think even when apples cost say the same as a box of Ritz crackers uh, possibly they did it because of that link with the nostalgia of the past what you're really creating there is mush because if you combine the Ritz cracker with the sugar syrup you're getting mush and when you cook apples down for a pie filling it's really more of a texture the flavour is limited and if they're putting lemon juice in and cinnamon then then I get that it could work I had no idea that that was the case I had no idea that um apples were just a conveyor of other flavors in a pie you almost convince yourself you can taste the fruit but apparently it's not like a cherry pie or a blueberry pie where you can taste the the sweetness from the fruit the apple is just a lumpy thing that's there and in fact you can use apple to bulk up say a cherry pie or rhubarb pie when you want to make expensive fruit go further and apparently mock apple pie in some form Mm -hmm. goes back to the civil war 
So before Ritz wow. crackers, people said use saltines. Well, it's the similar principle, isn't it? Saltines, Ritz crackers. Yeah. But they really did seem keen on cracker pie, didn't they? And it does they? Kind, of, it kind of, apparently, apparently it tastes almost as good as real apple pie. I'd say I'd bake one and try it by next episode, but I don't want to. Hello, this is James at work. Hello, Molly. Answer me this. What's the deal with red velvet? It seems in the past, like, four years, red velvet's just, like, become a standard one of the cake repertoire, you'll have like, you know, Victoria sponge, chocolate cake, red velvet everywhere. And up until about 2011, I don't think I'd ever seen it. I'd, red velvet was a fabric, not a cake. Where's it come from? What's it made out of? Red velvet, what's, what's it all about? Right, so there's a myth about where red velvet cake came from, which is the Waldorf Astoria Hotel invented it. But apparently, in fact, during the Great Depression, we returned to the Great Depression. In the late 30s, a cake mix company was trying to stimulate sales, which had been ruined by the Great Depression. So they invented red velvet cake. Mm. And it was just normal cake mix with a load of red food colouring put in. And so there's a scientific myth as well about red velvet, which is that it was a chocolate cake made with cocoa and the raising agents oxidised it in such a way that it turned it red. But apparently not really. Uh, It's just food colouring to make it look different to the other cake mix. And actually that does tell you that it's 20th century, doesn't it? Food colouring. Yes, because artifice, one of the great food trends of the 20th century. And of course now there's loads of processed food with food colouring in it, but it's less of a selling point. If someone invented a cake that was bright red now, they'd probably say, can we make that look a bit more natural? Yeah, and yet red velvet has become popular, I'd say, in the last five years or so. My dad had an idea uh, in about uh, 1992. He's had a few ideas since, but this one sticks with me. He's a visionary Stanley man. We went to Planet Hollywood, um, which was the thing to do when you were 12 years old in North London in 1992 for your birthday. That is very distinct qualification. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, it was a rip-off and the food was three stars, but I was excited because there were clothes that had been worn by supplementary characters in the Terminator hanging on the wall. Yeah, and you were on a planet of Hollywood. Well, whilst we were in the restaurant, my dad won't remember this, but whilst we were in the restaurant, there was a real in-vogue thing for themed restaurants at the time. You know, this is the time where there was Hard Rock Cafe was still a big deal, Planet Hollywood... Uh, you had the Rainforest Cafe just opening in London. Yeah. My dad came up with the idea of a Martian restaurant mm-hmm. where all the food would be bright red. So, like, you'd order... So, so- like Hawksmoor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you'd order something um, sort of without knowing what it was. Yeah. I guess they'd have to put coding in there so that adults could work out that it was a bowl of pasta or a burger. Or they could just have red lights and then you wouldn't even have to amp up the colouring too much. But the idea, the appeal for me as young mm-hmm. Ollie man, and I remember it still, I mean, it stuck with me and I thought it was an amazing idea, mm-hmm. uh, was that you could order like a Martian burger mm. and it would look, it would be bright red and green. And they, the idea of vibrant colouring really appealed. But it still does a bit. And I, yeah, well, I, that's the thing about food colouring, isn't it? I know it's bad and wrong and unnecessary to put that stuff in your body, but it's quite cool, isn't so it? So beautiful. If you can make something that looks like it should have been from a cartoon Mars, that is quite cool. Anyway, I wonder if anyone ever came up with this concept and did it in presumably Vegas. It seems like a kind of 90s Vegas thing that is probably rusting away somewhere behind yeah. the strip. Yeah. Oh. I'd go. I'd go now, even though I would know it would be bad for me. I think generally theme restaurants still have a lot of life in the concept that is not being uh, yeah, exploited. Yeah, well, you see, see Frankie and Benny's is a classic example. So, what is that themed after? Okay. I've not been in one. It's themed after Italian-American diners, Yeah, but specifically. that's not really a theme no, no, it like is. Mars It is, because you go Hollywood. in there... And they're playing Dean Martin, Rat Pack stuff. That's just styling. It's not themed. Hold on. I'm talking it through. It's not creating a 
a really bizarre artificial environment. No, 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 like I not. consider a true theme restaurant to be rather than a characterization of. Well, you may say it's not creating a truly artificial environment. I say <laughs> if you build a leisure park in the middle of Watford <laughs> off the M25 and you manage to convince someone just for a second that they're in New York in 1975, that's quite good. Okay. Um, and they do do that. And I think Frankie and Benny's, if you're listening, I think your theming is A+. plus. Well done, whichever... Uh, group of investors owns Frankie and Benny's. How's the food, though? Here's where they fail is the food. That's the thing. If the food was like authentic Italian-American food, generous portions, really tasty, I'd be in Frankie and Benny's every day, mate. As it is, even if I'm in Borehamwood Shopping Park, I think I'd probably rather pop to the Costa in the Debenhams. I I want more theming everywhere, Yeah. but I want better quality food. On my suggestion, you went to the themed town of Leavenworth in Washington State, didn't you? so good. Because I I told you, it's the happiest place on earth. It's all Bavarian themed. It's so weird. So if you've never heard of this place, it's in uh, Washington State in the USA. It's in the foothills of the Cascade Mountains, which are very alpine looking. So they thought, let's make it look Bavarian. It was a place where they used to mine gold and then guess what that sort of ran out and then they had nothing else to do to get tourists to go yeah so they said let's theme it like the sound of music but what's amazing about it is it works uh yeah like if in britain a village said let's theme like a bavarian village i'll tell you what that would mean exactly that would mean that on the pub they'd put little triangular bunting that's brown yeah and they'd serve hot dogs yeah um and possibly the local post office would play umpapa music and sell postcards of switzerland that's it yeah not good enough in America, when they say let's theme a town, it's the whole fucking town. Even yeah. the Starbucks signs, it's, it's not the normal Starbucks logo. It has to be Bavarian Starbucks logo. So cool. And it's like, I, I assume even like the police station and the court is themed <laughs> and the hospital. I mean, it's certainly the like... tattoo parlour is. That, yeah, every civic building in the town centre appears to be. It's mm. awesome. Amazing. And if there is a Bavarian synagogue or mosque, I wonder how that feels. Mm. You've got a question... Email your question to answer me this podcast at googlemail.com. 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 Here's a question from Ryan from Melbourne. He says, Ollie, answer me this. What was the first romantic comedy? Is it going to be something from, like, 1900, where there are no words? Yes, it's going to be from 1924, Helen, and it is a silent film called Girl Shy. It's from 1924, Harold Lloyd, Lloyd. whose name has lasted, you know, as a silent movie performer. He was the Kate Hudson of his day. Uh, Maybe not so much his love interest, uh, which was played by Jobina Ralston. Amazing name. Jobina. That's a good name. Just, how does that... It's not like, even like Nigella, where they've taken a nice man's name and feminised it. Well, lots of men are called Jobby. (laughs) It's just terrible. Anyway, old Jobby and Harold. I like it. Uh, I like Jabina. It's good. Have a relationship in the film. and it, I mean, it's a silent film. Is it funny? Yes, but it's not a gag film. So this mm-hmm. is the thing. Until then, Harold Lloyd's comedies obviously had been based mostly on him getting hit in the face with things. Right. And falling off buildings. Yes, but that's what the ditzy woman is supposed to do in romantic comedies. <laughs> yeah. She's falling over all the time. Whereas in a romantic comedy... Uh, you have a moment which sometimes involves slapstick, uh, which Roger Ebert uh, coined as the meat cute. Yes. Uh, where the two of you sometimes literally bump into each other. So the classic one that springs to mind from modern times, Notting Hill, Cup of Coffee, mm-hmm. yeah. Julia and Hugh. It's either that or you are carrying an armful of work papers and books and they all fall to the ground. Yeah. You should have put them in a bag. You, you meet, uh, lightning strikes, but it's in an unusual and kooky way. Maybe you don't get on, uh, but indeed. there's a free song. But somehow the audience know that you're destined to be together. Yeah. So all of that is in Girl Shy. Is he an architect? I don't know. Does she work at a magazine writing one column every six months and yet that gets her a big apartment in Manhattan? I presume from the title that she works at a coconut shy. 
um, but I haven't seen it. Um, but, you know, film historians say that's kind of the first romantic comedy. Okay. But mm-hmm. even though that's the spirit of the question, it's kind of a boring answer because you sort of predicted it already that I was going to say that. Doesn't of course you're going to say something like that. I think, actually, Much Ado About Nothing. Whoa! I think if you're actually going to take the ingredients of romantic comedy and say what is there... Um, you know, as you say, that, that, that flawed will-they-won't-they they thing. Yes. Two characters that you find amusing in different ways. You think they're not suited, but you know that they are all along. Sharp-tongued repartee. It's Beatrice and Benedict, isn't it? And uh, friends who've also got their own romantic plot, like uh, Carrie Fisher and Bruno Kirby in When Harry Met Sally. Yes, yeah. That is a good answer, Ollie. So I think, I don't know when Shakespeare wrote that, 1600 and something. That, in, in my mind, is the first romantic okay, comedy. Okay, now I'll accept that. I was going to say, what about Midsummer Night's Dream? Is that, like, because that's a comedy that's and romantic funny. and... Midsummer Night's Dream is funny. No, you're wrong. Midsummer Night's Dream is funny. Yeah, but really not funny. the romantic bits. No, the romantic bits are, well... It's separate, the romance and the, the comedy. The rape drug stuff's quite funny. Oh, um, hilarious. The play within a play is funny. Yeah, but, but it's the, not the romantic. The love is not funny. Yeah, exactly. Whereas Much Do About Nothing... The repartee, the repartee is, funny. is funny. And you're glad that they've got together at and the end. And it ends in a wedding, yeah, whereas I can't mm-hmm. remember quite what happens at the end of Midsummer Night's Dream. It ends happily, but there's some bollocks from Puck, isn't there, about, oh, yeah. all, this, all this fun we've been having. It was all a load of shit. And Robin so, here you know, shall make amends. Enjoy yourself, Shut up. whatever. Uh, <laughs> uh, whereas, Are you paraphrasing? Uh, much Ado About Nothing ends in a wedding of the two characters. Sorry, spoiler. But yeah. ends in a wedding of the two characters you've been rooting for, which is basically the template of every romantic comedy. I have seen the film. Which, yes. which one? Oh, uh, the one I don't think it's reasonable to say the film when it comes to the, Shakespeare. The one with um, Branagh and uh, what's it called? Oh, Kenneth Branagh. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Thompson, Keanu, Keanu Reeves. Reeves. Oh, sorry, I have come with news from the village. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good impression. Uh, so there you go. That's that's what I'm saying. Okay, well, yeah. I'm happy with it. Good. Well, here's another question of romantic comedies. It's from Scott in Cheshire. Uh, he says, "I think we can all agree that the film Overboard is mm-hmm. a delightful comedy vehicle for Kurt Russell." And Goldie Horn. And that vehicle mm. is a boat. What, what? <laughs> I can't agree, uh, Scott, because I haven't seen it. Mm, oh. Yeah. I haven't seen Overboard. I don't know if that's going to be a disadvantage in answering this question. I'm a f- big fan of it, but it's not unproblematic. Uh, he says, in the film, Kurt's character takes advantage of a woman with amnesia... Played by Goldie Horn. Uh, ...who didn't pay the agreed price for work carried out. Yes. Um, the work being making her a wardrobe built in on her yacht that she lives on with her rich husband. With right. a really awesome shoe uh, holder. Yes, she wants it made out of cedar because of moths. And he made it out of another wood. (laughs) Sounds hilarious already. Mm -hmm. Uh, By pretending, continues Scott, she is the mother of his four unruly children uh, and getting her to cook and clean for the family. That is what happens. Uh, They fall for each other. So hold on. Goldie Horn's got amnesia. Right. She gets angry at him over the whole cedar thing and how he wants to be paid for remaking them. Yeah. And she throws him and his toolkit off the boat. Right. And then she falls off the boat. I think some mishap because she's very impractically dressed for boat life. She gets washed up on shore. This is on the Oregon coast, I was uh, amused to read, which is very beautiful. And uh, she's got amnesia. Her husband goes to hospital to pick her up. And then when he's there, he's like, wow, she's a real bitch. So he goes off to be entertained by other women. Very 80s. And Kurt Russell... Takes up the mantle. Why is he even there? Well, I think he sees on the news that she's there and he's like, I'm going to teach her a lesson. So he's like, hey, wife come home with me and she's like Scott says um, there is a happy ending to the film they fall for each other they do and uh, she manages to make his dream of building a mini golf course a reality wow but Helen Mm -hmm. answer me this okay what would Kurt's character be charged with in real life Mm -hmm. and what time would he have to serve so what's he done? He's he's gone along to a former client's hospital bed and pretended to be her husband yeah, so, so that he can benefit financially. He no, so he takes her home 
and then keeps her in d- domestic servitude looking after his four boys. Right. So she's cooking and cleaning. Oh, so she's in... forgotten about the boat completely. She, she has amnesia, Ollie. Right, so yeah. yeah. So she's being... he, he, doesn't want, he doesn't want her lifestyle on the boat. He's punishing her by keeping her in a slum dwelling with right. four children who don't give the game away weirdly even though they're quite yeah. young so you'd think they would they would be like no my real mummy is dead yeah yeah that well, no, to be fair it's not just a sl- slum del- dwelling it's where he lives and it's his way of making her live the way that he lives and she, she's been looking down upon him in the Look first you, part working of the class hero all it's, right it's a bit like a jaunty 80s sequel to the collector fine okay so that would be i think kidnapping some say human trafficking mm. false imprisonment because it goes on for some months mm. um, she's free to leave isn't she well she doesn't know that she can leave because she doesn't remember anything mm. and, um, wow so actually you probably need to look at some quite recent uh, laws that have been written about domestic abuse within yeah. marriages wouldn't you yeah. because if, if she thought she was married you know there is the issue about in the 80s would she consider herself free to leave they do have sex after they fall in love and I think rape by deception is a crime uh, hard to prove I guess uh, but the weird thing is, like, after she finds out that he's done this thing, she goes back to the boat and then she wants to be back in the horrible place with Kurt Russell and their golf course. So that's the romance that she's... She is still Stockholm yeah, syndroming well, all over the place. <laughs> well, no, classic, but her, her, her husband is awful and she does realise She's that. awful. Like, her whole personality yeah. changes. If it's the 80s, everyone in 80s romantic comedies is awful. Yeah, but she's got brain damage that must make her a nice person. It's like Richard Gere in Pretty Woman, isn't it? Oh, that is like, such a gross film. He's, well, look, I think it is a great film. But it makes me laugh Disgusting. and I enjoy it. But I'm, you know, unsettled by the fact that it is a romp about a prostitute. Yeah, ha uh, look at this relationship that is not at all equal. Well, that's the thing. So, Richard Gere is supposed to be a really nice millionaire because he doesn't just want sex he's also prepared to pay to keep someone during the day and buy a nice dress mm-hmm. because he's ashamed of the way she nice. dresses yeah exactly yeah. but actually i mean that's a good corollary isn't it sure in, in that in pretty woman you, you don't have you have her prostitute best friend who's also a prostitute and having a tougher time but she's mm-hmm. not a meth addict mm. and in the same way in overboard although i haven't seen it uh, it's not going to examine the darker side of the criminal injustice that's been perpetuated because Indeed. it's a romantic comedy. It's back to the last answer. If the focus of the film is about the relationship and on laughs, you're never, you, there's, there can be a dark side like in, in the Judd Apatow films that go on for an hour too long and then halfway <laughs> through someone has a miscarriage. But basically, it can't linger on that because it's got to be about it's the couple not, and it's, it's got not, to be about It's not jokes. meant to be meant like, like the real world. I mean, Kurt Russell is not motivated either by money or by wanting to have sex with her. Just by mini-golf. He just, yeah, he just, he just wants to kind of, like... It's, it's he like wants an, free childcare. But I don't know what the sentencing would be. It depends on what the Oregon state laws were and the federal laws, if this is federal case, and mm. then whether he had to serve the sentences consecutively or concurrently. But I'd imagine at least 10 years... Well, I mean, it's just as well we worked it out. Because I don't think he feels remorse for it in the film. But I think if she felt upset enough to press charges, maybe he would realise the import of his actions. Well, something that we feel remorse for are some of our early episodes of the show. Uh, but, <laughs> but you can uh, buy those if you want but You can buy those we if have, you want. We have imprisoned them upon answermethisstore.com. That's right. Today's intermission is from episode 123. Uh, which is back in, what, 2010? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Ollie had a freshly dislocated shoulder, I believe. And like all of our classic episodes of Answer Me This, it is available to buy from answermethisstore.com. But also, the entire back catalogue, episodes 1 to 200, are now on iTunes 
and Amazon as well, if you'd rather give a little bit more of your money uh, to a corporation as well as us in the name of convenience. <laughs> yeah. Feel free. Give more money to big business and less to us. I get it. But Strong if, you're, decisions. if you're an iPhone user and you'd rather just download it straight to your yeah. phone and not bother going through our website, fine, we'll take your money. Yeah. Uh, iTunes, Amazon or answermethestore.com. A lot of you are afraid of ketchup, idiots. Really? Yeah, what's oh. with that? What's frightening about ketchup? Well, I suppose it looks like blood. It's a bit bloody, it? isn't it? Yeah. Someone called Mary said that she's afraid of kites, meaning she can't even watch the end of Mary Poppins. It's a long enough film, though, Mary Poppins. You've had enough by that point. doesn't matter yeah, if you like, don't watch yeah, the last five sake, minutes. Blow into the air, get yeah. rid of you. Better to be scared of penguins and miss the tedious middle section on the carousel. <laughs> Better be scared of suffragettes. Uh, Just Joe has a fear of authors dying partway through writing a series <laughs> so I don't start reading a series of books until I have the whole set this is my favourite phobia of them all though it's from Kaylee, who says I am terrified of crumpets oh wow the holes freak me out oh you could fall in there you could lose your keys in those holes something could climb out and beat you with a machete actually if you went all honey I shrunk the kids then crumpets oh, would yeah. be frightening wouldn't they oh an absolute minefield it'd be they? like uh, Monument Valley wouldn't it yeah <laughs> Please be so kind as to call in with your questions by Skyping Answer Me This or by dialing the following number. 0208123 And let's hear from one of you inquisitive people. Hello, Helen. It's Sean from Bristol. I just walked past an ambulance and there's the sign on there of the snake. It looks like it's going around the candle. What is that? Where does it come from? And why is it an ambulance symbol? It is not a candle, Sean, that the snake is going around on the ambulance symbol. It is a staff or rod, and uh, it's known... <laughs> easy now. And it is known as the rod of Asclepius, who is the Greek god of healing. And ah. it, he had uh, several children who were also medically involved. One of his daughters was Hygieia, from which we get the word hygiene. Wow. Yeah. That's really interesting. I bet loads of paramedics don't even know the classical origins of that logo even though it's on the vehicles that they drive around i just think paramedics have probably got more pressing matters to attend to yeah but nowadays they have to do a degree anyway so maybe it does come up in the theory section i've got a degree in classics which means i'll be a perfect <laughs> paramedic <laughs> um the snake thing is because uh, in ancient greece snakes were considered sacred beings of healing and wisdom to the extent that they would fill hospital wards with non-venomous snakes no. just to hang around on the floor did, i mean i know the greeks had some great ideas you know they created a lot of civilizing projects i'm not like taking discrimination it away against women <laughs> <laughs> no but you know drama and uh tzatziki. democracy yeah but all i'm saying is what about looking at a snake an animal that can eat an entire beaver with one swipe of its tongue maybe they didn't have beavers, in, have Greece. beavers in Greece, or, or strangle the baby to death okay makes you think healing well they thought snake venom was remedial the thing and that kills the animal. Remedial. Well, sometimes it could be. It might have a useful anaesthetic effect. I know I'm looking at this through modern eyes, but I mean, WTF Greeks. And, mm. uh, and also they thought that the snake shedding its skin was a symbol of rebirth. It's madness. Oh, that's interesting. But it's really a symbol of exfoliation, isn't it? They also used to use sacred dogs to lick wounds. So if you just put <laughs> sacred in front of an animal, it's allowed to roam free in hospitals. Talking of logos, here is a question about such from Adam, who says, Ollie, answer me this. Why is Snapchat's logo a ghost? Ghost face chiller, to be precise. Really? Chiller with an A-H. Of course. Well, if you're riffing on ghost face killer, you have to emulate the spelling, don't you? Although apparently it's now known as no face chiller. That's a nerd joke because Snapchat took the face away from the ghost. And soon there'll be a Jewish person 
Ghostface Khala. <laughs> so this is just a Wu Tang Clan pun. Well, the name, the name of it is. Right. I, don't, I don't think we're led to believe that the ghost has any affiliation to any hip hop group. You can't rap. Look, it, every app needs a logo. Yeah. All the good ones were gone. Not all the good ones. What's they left? just hadn't happened yet. Okay. Uh, the reason that um, it's a ghost is because uh, a message that you create on Snapchat self-destructs and then becomes like uh, a ghost. Yeah, just a yeah. you know, previous incarnation but of itself. But that's a really bad no, metaphor because yeah. a ghost persists after the death of its owner. It's around all the time. Yeah. As do cock shots on Snapchat, as anyone <laughs> knows, <laughs> apart from teenagers who insist on posting them naively. Right, so the ghost really symbolises screen grabs. Yes, exactly. Rather than the Snapchat yeah. itself. The, the ghost represents the pornification of your private content in future. That's an impressive symbol. Yeah. <laughs> hello, hello, Nolly. This is Arj from Canterbury. I recently got three points um, for speeding, um, and it just got me thinking, why three points? Is there something that you get one point for or two points for? Three seems like a very arbitrary number, and, you know, 12 almost seems like a target. I'm glad that you asked us this, Arj, because until today, I didn't realise that indeed, yes, there are offences that carry fewer than three points. Is that because you only go for the big ones, <laughs> not <laughs> yeah. these piddly little one-pointers? Yeah, I'm only interested in aggravating taking of a vehicle at three to 11 points, <laughs> and I'm going for the full amount. <laughs> Forget it. So if you get 12 points, you're, you're done. Your license is suspended for how long? Ooh, good question. They take three years to clear. Right, so um, at least But I years. think probably for some, yeah, for some crimes you never get it back. How many points have you got at the moment? That's a good question. I don't know. I think three. <laughs> Do you get an annual statement? Um, <laughs> no, you just, you just know if you're in the danger zone. Right. So I'm not in the danger zone. I think I've got three. Uh, but I might have none by now because they disappear after a few years. The, spe- the speeding tickets, yeah, uh, they last for they last for three years as well. Didn't yeah, they? they all last okay. for three years. Okay, right. Uh, and the classic ones are in units of three, so yeah. it, it's normally three points for, for example, going at forty in a thirty zone. Oof. If you're doing exceeding speed limit on a motorway, that's three to six points. Oh. So again, you've got a clear scale there. It's probably three points if you're doing hundred and six points if you're doing hundred and thirty. You know, so they, yeah. there's some okay. leniency. Um, but what's interesting is uh, there are offences that are fewer than three, which I didn't realise. Uh, play street offences will get you two. Play street? A play street, apparently, is a special kind of pedestrianised street. I suppose it's like a private road mm. hmm. uh, where there are families living in a cul-de-sac, so they can apply to the council for it to be a play street. Hmm. And in that designated street, you can't drive at usually over 20 miles per hour. Huh. So if you get done for 30 in a 20, basically, That's it's one. two points. Because it's because you're still not going to kill anyone really, so it, three seems a bit harsh. But you are technically exceeding the speed limit. So yeah, it's two yeah, points, and you could damage people. Well, you could definitely damage you a seven-year-old that you hit. You could yeah. run over a nice game of soft cricket. Yeah, but they they live in in some terrible chromatic mangled. Uh, uh, failing to provide specimen for a breath test is four. Wow, which is intriguing. I don't know why that. So how much for, for drunk, how much is it for drunk driving? If you're drunk driving, it's your your license is taken away. Oh right, okay. Uh, so it's worth taking the hit actually if you if you are driving drunk. Yes, that's not advice that we're giving <laughs> on the show. Martin, Sorry. that is drunk logic. <laughs> Certainly. <laughs> no, I'm just I'm just a thinking, good point. Yeah. I'm thinking about the incentive system. That's actually yeah. an incentive not to comply with the police if you are breaking the law. What do you get one for? Uh, I can't see an offence where there's one. Can you get one point for having two baby on board stickers in your back windscreen? <laughs> it's not like we didn't see the first one. Why have you got twins? And also you're endangering them by blocking out all of your visibility. Uh, Lucy in Bournemouth uh, says, My Spanish friend loves to use the word nippy to describe the English climate. Fair enough. Uh, he asked me why we say it's nippy when it's cold, to which I told him that it's because the temperature that nipples become attentive to the cold. Oh, stop it. I don't know if that's true, says Lucy, but I like the idea. Of course you do, and it isn't. So, Helen, answer me this. Did I tell him a big funny lie, 
Or yes. is it actually where the word nippy originates? No. Nope. Thanking you. <laughs> so polite, lovely yeah, manners. Not bad. No, but you are a liar. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, no, they are from completely different origins. Nipple is from neb, which is like a little protuberance. And nippy is from the Middle English nipper to pinch. Because mm. uh, it feels like the weather's pinching you a bit. That's from Old Norse. Mm. Is it not possible, though, that nowadays the word stuck around had staying power because it feels a bit naughty? Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah. It's transmuted, possibly. Oh, I yes. Might the lexicographers of the future be making this connection even though it wasn't originally there? Yeah, the bad lexicographers might. Yeah. I found out that um, a 16th or 17th century slang term for a woman's nipples was cherilets. Oh, so presumably like small cherries. Sounds like yeah. a cough sweet. See, cherrylets mm. works, I think, on a relatively uh, petite and flat-chested lady. I don't yeah. think big whammers would be called cherrylets. What would they be? Cherry no. booms. <laughs> <laughs> Cherry blums. I got in the sack with my boss. Now my boss wants to sack me. So I need a place online to put up my CV. I don't want to use LinkedIn. That's so unattractively needy. No, I don't want your invitation. Use squarespace.com to build your personal brand. Show off your achievements to every firm in the land. And while you're at it, inflate your salary by a few grand. You bought your boss's silence. Who's gonna check? Thank you very much, Squarespace, for sponsoring this episode of Answer Me This. And also for allowing you listeners to create websites that look good and work really well and are not difficult at all. Yeah, something that works, something that advertises yourself, something that sells stuff, or something that just organises things that you enjoy in a pretty way. And my God, those fonts are cool. So if you've just been sitting around for years going, oh, I'd love to get this project off the ground, but I can't quite be asked," Be asked. Yeah. That's, that's... Now is the time. Yeah. And uh, if you go to squarespace.com, you can play around with the two-week free trial and then if you decide to turn that short-term fling into a long-term relationship then you can get 10% off for a whole year if you use the code answer here's a question from dylan who says very soon my wife will be giving birth to our first child tick 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 once the child is born we have six weeks to register its name but helen answer me this what happens if you don't register a name in those six weeks does the state give you a name? I'm calling it Baby. <laughs> uh, does the state even give you a number? Oh, come on. That would seem like the right thing to do, wouldn't it? Maybe that's why six in Blossom is called six. Uh, or perhaps the window closes and your child remains nameless for life. Yeah, because that happens, doesn't it? Who's the Minister for Health? Maybe they just name it after whoever that is. That would be a fantastic rule, wouldn't it? Well, after six weeks, you get a formal legal requisition demanding that you go and register the birth in person. And if you do not do that after having received that notice, you're liable to prosecution. So um, I wonder how many people actually get done for that, though. Well, it's a small fine, but I think there are quite a lot of um, compelling reasons to register your baby's life (laughs) and name. I think also probably if you want to get your child benefit, you have to have done it, don't you? You want child benefit, you want citizenship. If you want it to be a baby model has to have a name for the for the face cards uh but actually i i think therefore the answer must be that even if you get called for prosecution we know how long the court system takes in this country i mean by the time you're actually then facing uh, a judge you've probably got another few months to do it haven't you by which point threatened with legal action i guess people do i bet no one ever actually gets done for this adele did get fined because she left naming her firstborn for such a long time really i guess it's probably uh, after a certain point considered a kind of abuse isn't it 
Like yeah. if, if the child gets to say six months and still doesn't have a name, then it's growing up not knowing its own identity. That would be considered some sort of abuse. But actually, I, I wonder if you could argue, well, it's an alternative lifestyle that we've chosen. We, we don't believe in names, man. Well, that's tough shit. We want them to find their own name. I think that is reasonable to say we want them to find their own name but unfortunately the society or raising them in is not supportive of that yeah. viewpoint is uh, it uh, also i don't think it is reasonable because a two-year-old's going to come up with a very different name terrible to a <laughs> wait I, I would have called myself domino as a child that's a sexy name i don't know if i'd want it now <laughs> i think it would be quite cool if you could choose a name for yourself when you turned 18 and that was like your passage into adulthood yeah, yeah. There, was, there was a space left for your own naming your parents had given you one your ancestry had given you your surname and then there was one left for you i think when the time comes for me, uh, I will be thinking not in terms of what name do I like, but have I ever met anyone who's a cock with that name? Mm. And the problem is I can't really think of any names of people that I have met and one of them isn't a cock. Hmm. I, I see the issue. You're just going to have to think of a name that you've not met anyone with. Yeah, well, but then, then you might end up with something that's willfully obscure. My parents went for a similar thing, I think. I mean, I don't think they were thinking, I don't want to... Actually, I, I don't think I have met anyone called Martin who is a cock. I heard Martin Roster from Jean used to be a bit of a cock. Well, this well, is it. You start thinking of famous examples, don't you? Martin oh. Amos is yeah. Martin a Amos is a massive cock. Uh, yeah, Martin there Scorsese, you go. Scorsese is a massive no, no. cock. No, Scorsese's not a cock. Oh, he clearly is. No, I yeah, disagree. Especially in the 70s. Yeah, when he's taking a lot of cocaine, yeah. Okay, fine. But he's a genius, whereas Martin Amos thinks mm. he's a genius. Yeah. Uh, I, when I said, what did you call me Martin? They said, oh, we knew lots of nice people called Martin. That was quite sweet. So it's it's not like are there any cocks associated with the name? It's more like are there non-cocks? Associated Who's the biggest cock called Helen? Me, I don't know. There's lots of cocks called Oliver. I reckon it's a it's a cock's name. Isn't well, it? it's just mm. it's it's a mm. name that a lot of people are called, and therefore some of them are going to be cocks, aren't they? Own it. <laughs> I suppose that's the case. Uh, but anyway, I'm going to find it very very difficult. I mean, I've had my goldfish for seven years and that still doesn't have a name. And have you been fined yet? Not yet. But <laughs> Not going to get in the goldfish benefits though, are you? The fish shop should have given me six weeks to register its name because that's, that would have been an incentive. It's easier to name pets than it is people. Well, this is it. Although I did meet someone who had a baby who had the same name as the Zaltzman family's last dog. It's interesting, isn't it, when dog names cross over with people <laughs> names. Dog names cross over. Because <laughs> it's also quite amusing the other way. Uh, my girlfriend's family cat is called William, and I find that amusing. <laughs> I love it when animals have really humdrum human names. Yeah. yeah. But I think the other way, it's a bit of a problem, isn't it? Do you know anyone called like Rex? or? Um... Yes, I've met someone called Rex. He was quite cool, actually. He wasn't a cop. It's an ambitious name, though, isn't it? Rex. Why? Unless you're a dog. Because it means king. Yeah, but most people think Tyrannosaurus. Because it means king. Yeah, sure. Of the dinosaurs. But, but, I, but the point being, they think of a species of extinct animal, so that, is that that aspirational? If you're an indecisive parent, can you give your, your child a lot of names? Obviously, they'll have to pick a first name, but later in life they could choose yes, one of their middle names. that's what middle names are for. But how many, like, what's the limit? I don't know. About 50? We've got a friend who has 10 middle mm. names. El Toro. And, yeah, one of them is El Toro. And it, it's because he was the last child, so his parents are like, well, we're going to use up all of our options because we know we're not going to have a child again. But it doesn't give it any more legitimacy for him to then choose that name when he's older, that it's one of his nine other middle names. Yeah, but if he just plucked El Toro from the air, people would be like, why have you gone for that? But uh, <laughs> if he can say, well, it was my middle name, and I just thought it was quite cool. Well, that brings us to an end of this episode of Answer Me This. Oh. Not before time, I'm sure you'll agree. No, at time. Yeah, at, at the exact right time. Yeah. Always is, isn't it? Leaving you wanting nothing. <laughs> That's what they say. Leaving you wanting what you've got. Just feeling perfectly satisfied. If you want to get your question on the next episode of Answer 
answer me this. You have to send it in, otherwise we won't know about it. Well, you can stop us in the street and assault us, but we won't look upon it kindly. No, that's not the official means, and we'll forget about it, so we'll forget to put it yeah, in our Google Documents. Exactly. But uh, all of our contact details are on our website. Answermethispodcast.com Whereupon you can find links to follow us on Twitter and Facebook. And remember, if you go to answermethisstore.com, you can buy our first 200 episodes Yay. and support the show that way. Yes. Thanks. Your money equals more shows. Thanks also to Squarespace for sponsoring this episode of Answer Me This. And thank you for listening, and we will return in two weeks' time. Bye! Bye.